podcast Ascenta Insights Series 2. I'm your host, Nanda Felding, a senior partner at Ascenta Partners, a contemporary executive search firm in London, where I run the global consumer and brand practice. Series 2 is themed purpose, which is a popular topic at the moment and includes multiple aspects, such as branding, sustainability, DNI, well-being, and much more. Series 2 has a similar format in terms of a center inviting guest speakers from all around the world to share their inspiring stories, thoughts, and insights on purpose-driven topics. We are honored to have a highly completed and well-known guest today, Erwin Ramborg. Erwin has been a top-ranked analyst covering the luxury and sporting goods sector for more than 15 years. After eight years as a marketing manager in the luxury industry, having worked for both LVMH and Richemont. He is now a managing director and global head of consumer and retail equity research based in New York. He regularly contributes to the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, CNBC, and Bloomberg, and has guest lectured at top universities in the US, Europe, and Asia. He is the author of The Blink Dynasty, why the reign of Chinese luxury shoppers has only just begun, published in 2014, and he has recently published his second book, Future Lux, What's Ahead for the Business of Luxury. Today, he will share his thoughts on how luxury brands can build trust, how they ought to move from product to purpose in order to build long-term relationships with customers and employees. He explores how to move from reputational risk to reputational reward and encourages to move ESG from a hindrance to becoming a proper asset. Erin will discuss the actions that can be taken on the ESG front to help luxury brands come across in a brighter light and to adhere to consumers' future demands, servicing global communities and giving back. Erin, thanks for joining us today and great to have you. Over to you. Thank you very much, Nanda, for having me on the program. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm talking about from product to purpose, how luxury brands can build trust. And obviously, a lot of people have been quoted, you know, Benjamin Franklin or Warren Buffett and many others along the lines of it takes many good deeds to build a reputation and only one bad one to lose it. And so here, what I'd like to approach is how do you move from reputational risk to reputational reward? I think actually luxury brands during the COVID-19 period, or the height of the pandemic, I should say, have actually given back to communities in many ways. But there's still a lot they can do to present themselves as good corporate citizens and managers who get it in order to deserve the trust of consumers. We've seen companies like Bulgari, for example, repurposing production sites to produce hand sanitizers. We've seen Montclair financing a hospital construction in Milan. We've seen Hermes giving back to charity. And not that long ago, I used to have questions from observers or investors around, you know, why do Caring and LVMH finance the rebuilding of Notre Dame in Paris? Why? Well, because luxury brands are part of history. They are here to capture the cultural zeitgeist. 
of the moment. And that's what they do. So what I'd like to do today is to look at the actions that can be taken on the ESG front, so environmental, social, and governance front, to help luxury brands come across in a brighter light. And again, consumers obviously are buying products that are looking for you know, handbags and accessories and watches and jewelry items. But the reality is they will come back if they get a sense that, again, you're a good corporate citizen and you have a purpose. You're not just there to take the money and run. So if I start with the E part, the environmental part, I'm happy to say that we are gradually moving from what used to be a very cynical approach from luxury brands. They were probably cynical around the environment because they were wondering what was in it for them. And they came from a place of complacency where you had you know, every year pretty good growth, very lofty margins, great cash generation, and you started to wonder, why bother? And actually, I've heard these cynical questions from some corporates. Why should we bother as the Chinese consumers are not asking? The Chinese consumers obviously being an important part of the growth over the past 10 years and probably for the next 10 years. And actually, the Chinese consumers are not asking, not because they're Chinese, they're not asking mostly because they're first-time purchasers. And if you're buying for the first time, you want to make sure you get the right brand. You're not necessarily asking about how the product has been manufactured, what your supply chain looks like, what are the conditions for the workers, et cetera, et cetera. So I think gradually you've moved from that cynical approach to actually some brands or some groups embracing environmental transformation, looking at secondhand, looking at substitutes to traditional raw materials, looking at repairing as well. So the sort of after-sales service, and you might remember that a former Hermes CEO used to be quoted saying that true luxury is what can be repaired. So we're coming back to that origin and we're exiting complacency. We're moving to a more professional, thoughtful approach. On the second-hand issue, I would differentiate brands that take a what I would call a French approach. So, you know, typically Dior, Vuitton, Hermès, Chanel. These are brands that want to control their production fully in-house and who want to control distribution as well. They haven't tackled second-hand in a very thorough manner for now. But the day it'll happen, they'll probably want to control that as well, rather than to leave it to third-party partners. I would contrast that to the Italian approach. So think about Montclair, Prada, Kering. I know Kering, the owners of Gucci, are a French conglomerate, but the reality is a lot of what they do is influenced by the Italian approach, which is you work with third-party producers, you work with third-party distributors, you're a lot more pragmatic rather than dogmatic versus the French way. I'm not saying the French way is better. I think they're both quite valid approaches. And for example, Caring took a stake in Vestiaire Collective. They're ready to work pragmatically with partners to in a sort of trial and error approach. Now, you probably saw that luxury companies were relatively slow on environmental issues, relatively slow on online sales, but quite quick on adopting virtual products and services, NFTs, which is the big up and coming trend these days. And again, you might wonder why again, is probably linked to past complacency. And I think one of the silver linings of the crisis was a wake-up call for luxury companies to do the right things. I think you'll see environmental issues being tackled very rapidly. Not many brands or groups talk about environmental issues much because 
you're paying very high price points for luxury products. And so by default, consumers probably trust that you are producing, distributing appropriately. The sad thing on the environmental front is that short term, it doesn't seem that consumers seem to care as much right now because consumers are reawakening. You're seeing a rebound in luxury sales. There's clearly phenomenal pent-up demand, appetite to buy the goods, and unfortunately, environmental questions, despite us being in this era of COP26, and despite actually companies doing a better job, unfortunately, in the short term, consumers are not asking as many questions as they might have asked a year and a half or two ago. That will change. That will come back, hopefully. And you'll have a convergence between what the corporates are finally doing and what the consumers have been asking for a while. They'll start asking again once the craze of shopping subsides eventually. On the social front, I think the question is essentially, how do you treat your employees? You know, In luxury, you've had a situation where staff was underpaid. There's a bit of an emotional discourse on pay. I used to work in the sector, and I was told several times that if I didn't think I was paid correctly, I should be thankful for the fact that I was working in this or that company. That type of emotional discourse is probably still ongoing. On the social front, what I would also look at is how is your board and how is your management team reflecting the communities you're actually selling to? That means more women. That means youth. That means probably some Asian members. That means more diversity. Now, diversity can mean several different things depending on where you are in the world. Diversity in Japan, for example, will be more around gender issues, diversity in the U.S., oftentimes is linked to ethnicity. Diversity in France could be social background. But it's this idea that, again, you should be a mirror of the communities you're selling to. And as that starts to happen, you are training the next generation of leaders. Obviously, you know, HR people like to start with people. And clearly, talent is a constant throughout the transformation that we're seeing to create trusted brands and real purpose-driven companies. What I mean by that is without the talent and without new ideas, bringing the visions of the different brands to life, you know, you're just reduced to statements. And we see this time and again in many different subsectors, but specifically in luxury, there seems to be a real correlation between the quality of management, the vision of leaders and the success. And we've seen this recently with notably the outperformance of some of the bigger brands or the bigger groups during the crisis, they happen to have amongst the most talented and visionary people. Finally, if you look at the governance uh, part of the equation, this is a bit tricky because obviously many luxury companies are family controlled or family driven. It's pretty hard to balance professional management with family members. Oftentimes you have very gifted family members. You know, I'm thinking again, going back to LVMH, for example, and one of the sons of Bernardo being involved in the redevelopment, the recent surge of the Tiffany brand that was acquired by the group not that long ago. Clearly, you're seeing a lot of talent. It's not always the case that you have a correlation between family members and quality management. In some instances, family members can be liabilities rather than assets for the groups. And it's obviously very difficult to arbitrage. There is a push for more independent governance. There's a push for transparency, for better communication. And the government's piece is as important as the environmental and the social aspects in the ESG uh, trinity, if I can say.
Now, I think the opportunity for the luxury sector is for ESG to move from being a sort of real hindrance and a real thorn in the side of many corporates to becoming a proper asset. And the basic question that gradually consumers across the globe, being younger, being more Asian, being female-driven, I've written about the fact that the future is female. Oftentimes, this surprises people who read what I might be publishing, but the reality is of course, the past and the present of luxury are female, but they, what I mean by the future is female is this idea that gradually you'll see a convergence in terms of the packages between men and women. You will see the reality that people are getting married later, if at all, having kids later, if at all. And the penetration rate to the labor market is also going to increase uh, on the female side, and that will lead to a surge in spending. So I think given the audience that you're selling your products to, obviously they'll be interested by buying your products, but more importantly, they'll be asking you the question, what have you done for me and what have you done for my community lately? And that's really the gist of what I mean by purpose. I think the COVID-19 pandemic has been a somewhat favorable period, actually, to be more thoughtful, counterintuitively to get closer to your end consumers counterintuitively to deliver what she wants more efficiently, despite the separation. And at the end of the day, as the Nike motto would have it, consumers decide. And the consumer is deciding. She's telling you what products she wants and what value she is expecting from the different brands or groups that she's buying from. And so this has been the opportunity for a step change, for a reset. And I think it's incredibly healthy. So again, I'm hoping I answered the question of what was meant from product to purpose, how luxury brands can build trust. And I'll pass it back to you, Nanda, and I hope we'll, uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Thank you. And insightful content, Aaron. Indeed, talent is a constant throughout the transformation to create trusted brands and real purpose-driven companies. And fully agree that management and boards or to reflect the consumers they are selling to. Our last episode with Chika Okeke shares some progressive views and tools to achieve this. We would highly encourage you to listen to it if you haven't checked it out yet. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for a new one. Take care till then, and please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you.